Welcome, everyone. I'm glad you joined us today for part two, where our guest, Joanne Richards, will fill you in on who, where, and what occurred at the second extraterrestrial and human interstellar treaty conference that took place in Persepolis, Iran in 1981. And just like in 1971. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and watch part one to catch up. We humans had to come with enough scientific evidence to prove that we had indeed an indigenous ancestry on Earth and were not created by several of the non-humanoid species who wanted to take credit for, quote, creating humans, end quote. We were largely helped by Contessa Leona, a scholar and archaeologist of the upright feline humanoid species, for all you cat lovers out there. And that species is called the Panthera Eternus. So on my shout out in the News for the Soul radio page, you will find a stone uh, glyph depicting this race that was very involved with Egypt for a long time, as well as an actual photo of political and economic experts and dignitaries at the opening celebration. The Persepolis Convention of October 12 through 16 in 1971 had as its, quote, cover story, unquote, the 2,500-year celebration of Iran's monarchy by Cyrus the Great. One purpose of this ET and human treaty convention was to demonstrate Iran's long, impressible history and to showcase its contemporary advancements under Mohammad Riza Pahlavi, who was the current Shah of Iran at the time. So my guest, Joanne Richards, is a journalist and executive director of Earth Defense Headquarters. Her husband, Captain Mark Richards, U.S. Navy, and his father, Ellis Lloyd Richards, Jr., Air Force Major, were both soldiers in a top-level military space command that performed intelligence operations since World War II. Many special ops included on-world and off-world contact with multiple humanoid and non-humanoid species that are and have been ever-present throughout our galaxy and universe. Both Richards oversaw security for the first and this second conference. So today, Joanne will introduce nine new, mostly non-humanoid species, and you will hear amazing stories of what occurred there, and including like several sabotage attempts on attendees' lives, like portals opening up. And So with that introduction, welcome back, Joanne. Hi, how are you? I'm good. You hanging in there? Oh, I'm I'm good. <laughs> Yay. Good, good, good. Well, happy to have you here. So, Joanna, uh, start with you sharing the purpose for our audience, you know, just to share the purpose, goals, and agendas for this second ET Human Interstellar Treaty Convention. Okay? Sure. Well, as you mentioned, the, the 1961 conference in Exeter, England, this conference was basically an extension of that, and the ETs wanted us to prove um, that, like you said, that we were indigenous to Earth, and I'm going to read a quote about that in just a minute. But they also wanted to assess our development as sentient beings, because definitely back in 1961, most non-humans, well, both, you know, most of the alien species did not think of us as sentient because they're civilizations uh, were so far advanced than we are. But they wanted to see if we had grown more and could prove that we could be part of the galactic community. And, you know, we, because we're not as advanced as the other races, we don't have definitely a lot of 
things to offer them that's in you know in their eyes um so they they held the conference as kind of a favor to us and they they're worried because we like to weaponize everything and they would rather you know they don't see us as com- you know, having complete advancements and you know they're worried about our consciousness and spirituality and they wanted us to understand the concept of collective alignment to you know really get along to see if we're really able to get along with you know non-humans so that being said mark had written in you know his very long report about this conference um i start and i think this relates to the the talking about that we were indigenous to earth he said, I started to get the idea at that point. We seemed to be constantly defending ourselves against the charges that we weren't a natural species, but were either a lab creation or so enhanced that it was hard to suggest that natural selection and normal evolution would have gotten our species to this point. If we could show that there had been many, if we could show that there may have been a few outside attempts at enhancement, but most of them had died out or not mixed enough into the general gene pool, to mess with our natural evolution, we could still hope to stand as a natural species and thus hold the victory that Earth belonged to us. We could make quite an argument for that train of thought and had carried the day in 1961 at the exit conference. Cool. And those are um, from exact Mark's words, right? Yeah. So that's, yes. that's kind of <laughs> sums it up and is very humbling for us humans at the time, I could imagine. <laughs> thinking we were the only creatures and the best in the uh, universe, right? <laughs> that, that's what we think, but we're not, as we know. <clears throat> yeah. You know, I remember uh, Mark telling me that there were, you know, way back then in 1971, there were three important reasons for life and space that the humans on Earth still failed to grasp. One, water is commonplace, not rare, which, of course, they're discovering. Two, life is more versatile than humans believed. And three, Planets with life are the rule, not the exception. So there you go. Right. <laughs> that, that's this show. So um, very good. For sharing that. So sure. What dignitary, dignitaries that people may recognize attended. Do you remember that from, you know, the talks sure. with them and writings? Well, and yeah, and I, you know, I I did a talk on I've done a talk on this at least once. And you know had to pull together, and there's there's a lot of this information because it was a public party. Uh, it is on the internet, but there were many political leaders, and just well, I'm only going to name one, but uh, some of them. But um, our U.S. Vice President at the time, Spiro Agnew, was there. There were presidents of countries, including Yugoslavia, Brazil, Austria, Pakistan, various African countries. The prime ministers of France, South Korea, and Italy were there. One of the cardinals from the Vatican was there, and there were numerous royal figures, including Prince Philip and his daughter, Princess Anne of England, the king and queen of Belgium, the king of Norway, the king and queen of Greece, Prince Rainier and Princess Grace of Monaco. Those are just a sampling of the um, high-level dignitaries and world leaders that were there. It's quite amazing. Wow. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> and um, okay, then. So uh, what buildings, now we're out in Persepolis, which is, uh, you know, like a huge desert, ancient, uh, <laughs> historical desert. So what right. buildings were these meetings held in? And 
like give us give us samples of that or what what sure. do you well, everybody the the public party and all that you know they they built huge tents so this was all underground and if you go on on online you can see some really wonderful pictures of the city that they created now the committee meetings for the conference were all held underground, you know, somewhere in that vicinity. I don't, you know, I couldn't point to a picture and say, okay, and if you went straight underground from here, um, but the conference meetings with the aliens were all underground. But um, above ground, you had this amazing tent city. It was also called the Golden City, and Mark said it was really cool to be there because you had these prefabricated little apart, little luxury apartments that looked like tents. Um, but they weren't really tents. But inside you'd have, you know, tent, you'd have, what do we say? Um, they looked like tents. There was a big, and they were just luxurious. They probably, you know, had bathrooms and everything inside them. And he just said they were fabulous. Um, in outside, rugs. Yuck, yuck. Yeah, Persian rugs. So <laughs> I, I'm sure it was just beautiful. They were arranged in a star pattern. There was a big fountain in the middle of all these tents. They had a number of trees flown in from France and they planted them, you know, right here in the desert. So they they wanted to recreate what Persepolis, prob, you know, could have looked like way back when. Um, and it took 10 years to build the tent city and get ready for the conference. So something what people need to understand is these conferences are not organized in a day. You know, the, the one before it was 1961 and this is 10 years later mostly because it takes a long time to organize it and get everybody invited and figure out the logistics and, you know, where you're going to have people and non-people and, you know, how do you keep people from not seeing the, from not seeing the non-people? Um, anyway, and the, ho- the Shah of Iran was the host at the time, and he had to learn how to say hello to hundreds of different aliens, even if it was just one or two words, but he had to learn, he had to learn that perfectly. And, the food was catered by Maxime's of Paris. It closed its restaurant for two weeks in order to provide the fancy food. And a company called Anvin designed the uniforms of the imperial household. They used Mercedes-Benz limousines to chauffeur guests. Uh, dinnerware was created by Limoges. So, I mean, this was, this was you know, a highfalutin party. <laughs> And yeah. again, if you go online, the the pictures and it's all this is all you know formal wear and black tie and and the pictures are just amazing, like especially of like the banquet and things like that. So everybody's dressed up in their formal wear and it's it's really and you know all their jewelry and all that jazz. So. <laughs> Oh my so, gosh. It's pretty cool to see pictures of that. I can't imagine the no, I can't even imagine the number of agents and security that it would take for something like that. It's just unbelievable. And here yeah, your husband and, and, and his dad yeah. were in charge of that. Well, Mark's dad was in charge. By then, Mark was a young adult, and he was part of the security team. So I don't. I wouldn't say Mark. Mark wouldn't say he was partly in charge, but he was. He was part of the the UN security forces. So. Right. And at that young age, he was was actually putting out a lot of fires, right? Yeah. And there was, and again, the report, and you've you've seen the report, and it's not even, it was never totally finished, but um, the report is like, um, 
thousands of pages long and there's like each part is a thousand pages and there's probably six parts that just get you to the first day of the conference. <laughs> so exactly. it, it, it's an amazing cause you know, he, he includes all this history and science and, and stuff. It's uh, just pretty amazing what, what he, um, and all the people, you know, biographies of people that were involved and, he wants to give everybody the, the full picture of who was there and what was going on. And there was a lot that went on before the conference started. So fun stuff and not so fun stuff. Yeah, and these if people are interested in reading this, and, and folks, it's really worth it. Whether you enjoy military history, regular history, or just want to find out the truth that you haven't been told, you know, uh, I personally enjoy the cultures, the different species, what makes them tick, what their genders are what's our relationships, you know, that's my love. And I think that's one of your loves too, Joanne, isn't it? Exactly. And kind of, yeah. So um, where can they get that? Where can they buy that? Uh, they can order it on, well, the website is www.edhca.org. So there's a product page. And then basically you just email me. My email is on the website, ecochicks at edhca.org. You can tell me what you want. I'll send you a PayPal invoice, and it's all sent electronically. So, you know, you can read it on screen or you can print out the thousands of pages. up to you. <laughs> but thankfully, yeah. I, you know, have it in PDF form, and you can just read it at your leisure on the screen or print out a few pages at a time. Great. Okay. So, um, thank you. So, over, sure. like, how many species attended this conference? And then can you describe them to our audience, kind of like what they look like and what their agendas were? I can. Um, well, at the 1961 conference, there were about 100 species. By the time of this 1971 conference, there were at least 200 species that attended. You know, that the word had gotten out and more species wanted to attend. So, and there were there were several species who didn't attend, but um for whatever reason so just some of them you know you mentioned contessa leona and she's not humanoid she looks she looks human kind of if you see her walking towards you but she's she's full-on cat as far as i can i can tell mm -hmm. but um she's called panthera eternus and she's bipedal she does walk upright i'm sure she can walk on all fours as well but she does walk upright her species, I'm not sure where they're from, but they're explorers and scientists and artists. And she is an archaeologist, and she loves to come to the to Earth to see where on Earth different spaces that uh, her species specifically has visited. So she really loves that, and she'll do a lot of archaeological digs. And I know one of the digs she did before the conference was, you know, in, in Egypt, but specifically related to this conference, her job was to find evidence of, you know, who, cre who, who created humans because there were nine species at this conference that were all saying, well, we did, we did, we did, you know, we should be God of the earth, you know, we, no, we did, da, 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 da. and, you know, it was just this big argument. So she decided she would find the proof. And speaking of this, like, I don't know exactly what proof she found, because I know that's one of your questions later, but I don't know what proof she found because 
the report hasn't been <laughs> he he got delayed in finishing the report, so I haven't gotten to the point where I read you know what specific proof she found, but she did find proof that we are not we may be you know slightly enhanced, but that was to help us thrive, but we are not created by any one other species, you know. Anyway, we've been here a long, long time. But anyway, um, Contessa Leona is, let's see, she, it's hard for her to make human sounds. She communicates through ESP. She um, she can communicate easily with other animal species. Uh, the sounds and smells created by a human body are offensive to her. She's got a photographic memory. And um, she's just amazing. And her, her husband, well, her, her, her mate, I forget. Oh, Cataflac. Oh, um, he's, he's he, like kick-ass. <laughs> yeah, he is kick-ass. And at some point after this conference, he, he was killed in battle. But, you know, they're not, I mean, they will defend themselves and they're good at it, but they, you know, they're not aggressive and they're not out to, you know, hurt the humans and things like that. You know, Mark just thinks she's, you know, wonderful. And it's like, I would, you know, okay, that's one, one of the ones I want to have tea with. So, because <laughs> yeah. she's still alive. And, you know, she's... She's still alive. Yeah, and and anyway. folks, again, I have a stone glyph of her kind in ancient yes. Egypt. You can go. Right. No, it, so. that's not. It was found in. If you're using the picture that I have, I don't know. Um, oh, I, I don't. There, no. You have a different well, one. Keep going, hon. Okay, I have well, one. The, the picture that I'm glyph, but go ahead. Oh, okay. Well, the picture I have is like a little carving. And it's called Lion Man, but it was found in a cave in southern Germany. So that's the one I use in my presentation. So maybe you have an additional one. So, but, uh, but, yeah, I you do. Know, they, okay, cool. The other point is, you know, Mark has said if somebody can, you know, you way, way back then, you know, hundreds, thousands of years ago, you're usually only going to carve what you see. So you probably wouldn't have carved a big cat or you know a stone cat if you hadn't seen a big cat walking around <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I, I just love that I yeah love because that. you can't you can't relate struggle through history with relating to something that they don't even know exists because the right. brain doesn't have a previous pattern for it right so it, it right. gets as right. close as it can but it usually puts it like in a human form or interpretation yeah right yeah right right that's like you know okay. the picture, we we talked last time about the the Canonians, um, and you know the picture I have makes them look like they're a hound dog. I don't I don't know if they're that much of you know I don't know how hound doggy they look, but um, anyway, the description of on them my, doesn't make them sound like a hound dog. But <laughs> yeah, on my shout out um that i send my email list and also right. in the further youtubes and also on the uh, news for the soul page there's a picture of a Canisonian. um give credit to gaia.com which is pretty close to what they look like because they have smaller ears than the hound dogs yeah so people can get a sense of it there oh yeah. I, I see i see the one you sent me so cool yeah um who would you like me to talk about next the war beetles how about Clicker the war beetle. Okay. <laughs> uh, clicker, well, the war beetles are a cool beetle species. Um, they are a cat. They have a caste system, and your size in your system, you know, in 
how big you are relates to where you fall in the, the realm of things. And they're a hive-like society. So if you're, you know, they have six legs. They're, in, they're like insects. They have biting mouth parts. Their front wings are modified to form horny wing covers. Um, and the full-grown queen is the size of a five-ton truck. A oh, my God. And, yeah, they're huge. <laughs> well, the queen is huge. Um, you know, the, a prince or a Whoa. warrior would be the size of a half-ton pickup truck. So that's probably like clicker. Um, the drones and the maids are the size of a compact car. Now, they're so heavy that they don't fly, and they, you know, expend a lot of energy, and most of the, or they don't fly much, but most of the drones and the maids can't fly at all. Now, what's interesting is the image I use for clicker comes from, you know, some online video game with a character in there called yeah. Clicker. I'm going, hmm, I wonder where they got that yeah. name. <laughs> Let let people know, Joanne, about the game of the video games, how that's part of disclosure. And the actual, they've had actual super soldiers in there. They have used actual names and all of that. So, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know a lot of details behind that, but I do find it's interesting. And I, you know, I used to glimpse at the, uh, the games that my grandchild would play. And it's like, oh, well. <laughs> Look, look at what you're mm-hmm. fighting. <laughs> Things like that. Exactly. It's like, huh. So, it's yeah, like that is, that is, that, you know. Exactly, exactly. Well, one, one interesting thing about Clicker is, and we'll, hopefully we'll get to the story, is they, you know, and again, I mean, they're warriors, but I don't think they go around looking for a fight. But if they have to defend themselves, they can belch superheated plasma out of their throat. You know, think dragon. <laughs> oh, I, I know. Now, so. that's wild. Do they come from a dragon ancestry? That's wild. I don't know. It just reminds thing. me of the dragons, you know, uh, breathing fire. But the, the warrior Ooh. class, I don't know if they all can, but the warrior class, um, they can belch hot, hot plasma at you to, you know, cut you down to size or get rid of you. <laughs> It actually puts a hole in you. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Another one that was there that fascinates me is called a vapor wisp. And they are another communal-like being. Um, So I don't know what they would look like if it was just one unit. But as a unit, they look like a cloud. And an image I have in my presentations is, uh, well, at the time of the pit conference, if you remember us talking about Prince Naga, who's a raptor, he was meeting with a vapor wisp ambassador in some building in, in Italy because Naga was interested in building or like starting some kind of hospital or medical facility, facility where, you know, different species could come be treated and it would be, you know, right off of, you know, uh, right off of Venice. Anyway. The vapor wisp is really cool, but what I love about them is that they understand the fabric and science of time. They're like quantum experts, and oh, they're experts on dark matter, and um, they can interact with it. And so, a lot of equipment used by our human scientists in the early 21st century was developed using information from them. And from a military report, I will quote 
While the vapor wisp looks to be a little more than a two-meter-long cloud of smoke, they are, in fact, close to being a truly quantum creature in that they seem to be able to feed off dark energy and in the moments of panic or need can slide between dimensions. Now, and I had an interesting experience pre-COVID. I used to be part of a group that meets with a, a person who acts as a you know, channeling medium, and we would bring in different deceased people or other non-human entities and just have an educational conf you know a, a meeting with them and a conversation is the right word um and so one of the times this this being like a representative of this group came in and we're talking and i like to sit next to where the medium sits cuz and then the the energy was so strong and that really helps me you know, confirm that and validate that, you know, there's somebody coming through here. And it, we're, we're talking because my, the hosts of the meeting called this being a different name than I know by. I go, you really sound like what I know is the vapor wisp. And he goes, yeah, we, we go by that name too. And yes, we know your, you know, it's like, do you know my, yes, we know your husband. I was like, it was pretty cool. But anyway, he explained more about their species, which is what you and I love. Um, they have emotions of love and compassion. They're extremely curious. They never war with each other. They see each other as equals. They have five sexes. Um, their first space travel was 50 million years ago. They love to tinker with things. The connection to source is their focus. They can get a black hole to cooperate, whatever that means. They're always on the lookout for yeah, I know. They they're always on the lookout for aligned energy. They're from far outside our galaxy and they believe that human consciousness has to change. So it's like, you know, that was so cool for me to be able to sit right next to, you know, the entity coming through our channeling person. It was like just beautiful, strong energy. It was it was fabulous. It was That's fabulous. A lovely story. Lovely story. I know. Yes, and mm -hmm. you know it's really nice when I can have the experience, and it's not just me repeating what Mark has reported to us. So, yeah, you know, it's it's another level of uh, validation for me. I I love it. Um, another yeah. interesting creature that wasn't necessarily at the exit conference, or we didn't, I never heard about it, was something called a flatlander, and these are one-dimensional they're from a one-dimensional world and and together the only way they can visit our world is to work together as a group and um, they communicate through ESP they're very friendly they have no self-ownership they are not greedy they operate with the communal mind and they actually helped later um, with one of the the problems that were happening, like right as the conference was going to be happening, so they they helped us with that. But you know, it's interesting. The image I have from that, it, it almost looks like, and I've never seen the Matrix, but it kind of reminds me of that kind of image. Um, and it's like a almost like a net. It's it's, but they can you know they can form shapes and things like that. So it's just all there's so many different kinds of species out there that who who would know? Who would who would think of that? So mm -hmm. that was pretty cool. Um, then let's see. Who else do we have? Um, oh, I, I learned oh. that I learned that there were two, you know, there's many oceanic species that live here in our oceans. 
and I also and there's oceanic type species that live in space, and there were two such species that came, um, but I don't really have any details on them. So I'm, I've got to have more conversations with who I was talking to about that. Um, and but one well, of those covered, species, we covered. We've only covered um, the ones that were on Earth. Pardon me. Right. Right. And those a lot of those came back to the second conference, right? So you're saying some these of them, are two new some ones of them that live did. on in space. Yeah, some of some of those um some of those ones from the exit conference did come to to the pit conference and but there were apparently um some that don't live on Earth that came from space because you know, there are planets and other places where it's very watery, and and where are my notes on that one? I have to tell you about this one. Oh, let's see. Trust me, if you could see my desk right now, <laughs> all, all well, my notes water. are scattered out. They well, okay, there was everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, and you know, I Which people I know. talked to Mark's dad. You know, Mark's dad is deceased, and I'm I'm not ashamed to say I talked to dead people. <laughs> Are, they're you know, live people. They're they are live. People. They're just <laughs> not in, in this realm at the moment. But we, we have conversations yeah. regularly. And, you know, he's been, you know, because I can't readily talk to Mark. Like, I mean, Mark and I used to have weekly conversations like this. And I can't do that because I can't see him, you know, face-to-face hardly ever at the moment. Anyway, but anyway, Mark's dad was telling me about a species called the Valerians or the Talarians from somewhere in a, you know the Andromeda area. They're not Andromedans, but anyway. And he said they're like a, a stalk of celery with eyes, and they're very water-based, and they love water. And he said if you can remember the movie Abyss where the creature just kind of like leans over, but it's like this big, like, you know, an appendage of water, like leaning over to like kiss that person or touch that person it's kind of like that but um he said they they were really cool he he really liked them Ooh. and there were some yeah it, it's amazing um he said there were some ets from a sagittarius cluster but he didn't really give me a lot of information about that and let's see so those were those were some highlights about the and, we, and of course species. we always have flyer who is um, an artificial yeah. intelligence, right? A, a yeah, and guy. Flyer, I almost forgot about him because Mark met him at the exit conference. And what's interesting about Flyer is, you know, he can add things to his exterior. <laughs> you know, he. So I, I don't know how big he is now, but you know, his size can grow because he'll just he'll you know go around and he'll find things that interest him, and he can add them to his exterior being and. Um, he's he's pretty amazing. Um, he's definitely a friendly, helpful AI. He's not, you know, somebody with a mm-hmm. negative agenda towards us. So, and and tell them how you know, tell the people how they're used uh, as translators, et cetera, et cetera, at the conferences. <clears throat> well, I can't remember if Flyer was used as a translator. Um, you know, you tend to remember. <laughs> different details than I do, which is great because yeah. that helps us both fill in the gaps. But um, I know elementals, you know, the fairy realm, the elementals are often used as translators. I can't remember if, you know, Flyer could have been. I'm sure they do use AI for translations. 
And then, you know, the grays are often used as translators. So um, I oh. don't remember if Flyer was being used as a translator, but he, he did go, <laughs> you could almost like go and spy on, it's like, you know, I, you know, when people say, I want to be the fly on the wall in that room, um, you yeah. know, Flyer could go around and pick up bits of information of different people's conversations and go report it back to, you know, Mark and his friends or Mark and his dad. So, so that was pretty cool. And that's similar to um, the elementals, the, the different uh, being Yeah, the elementals can I, do I that, too. To remember, I seem to remember just a little, you know, side story here. It's only one sentence. Is that uh, he, another, shall we just say, negative or regressive species had their own artificial intelligence robot flying around. And so Flyer went uh -huh. over there and disconnected him and reassembled <laughs> Persepolis, as far as I know, as well as many places, on the earth, and it's what many of the quote wars, like going to Iraq stuff, are about. Is a lot about uh, stargates opening, closing, controlling right. them, all these ancient places, right? So I'm just filling that in for the uh, audience. So right. uh, Persepolis ruins have a stargate in them, and also other portals were opening up. So um, do you want to tell us a couple portal stories? Well, what you know, what's interesting is okay, I know. <laughs> I don't ever remember Mark saying anything about there being a bunch of portals at Persepolis, but apparently there were because his dad did confirm that there's there's two or three, and I'm sure I don't know who, which species used which ones. I couldn't tell you where at Persepolis they were. Um, he said the space based oceanics that came definitely came through a specific portal, um, and again I don't really know what they look like. And the the other portal story I have is is when there was a major savage you know there was a major death threat uh, you know going or ha there was a major death threat planned wipe out the conference if not the whole earth that was happening like right at the beginning of the conference so that that involved a portal I don't know if you want that story now or later yeah go ahead and share the new this is the neutron bomb the neutron story. bomb story. <laughs> yeah, that would have taken and uh, that would have taken the entire planet out. So that's an important story to share. Yeah, it is. Wait, go ahead. I had some. Oh goodness. Um. Well, oh, here's my stories. But you know, thankfully, I found my notes. Um. So one night before, or I think it was like the day or so before the conference, and one night Mark was. He called it dreamwalking. You can call it astral traveling. He spied a ship in the Andromeda galaxy that was waiting to launch a probe. It would be a worm-generating torpedo that swallowed a neutron star, and it was hurled towards Earth, and it took them until the next day to get to it. So you had all these security personnel at the conference had to scramble. So human and non-human were scrambling to their ships. You know, Marcus got a cool, like, raptor ship that he's going to fly, and his first mate or whatever you want to call it named Lucky as a raptor. And what's cool is the Flatlanders just, you know, basically come through the nose of the ship to help them because they can, you know, help them. So lots of things going on. The, there's a active portals at the Gobekli Tepe. Oh, I'll never say it right. Tepe. Gobekli Tepe. Tepe. In Turkey. In, mm -hmm. in Turkey. So there's a portal there. The elementals um, have the ability to open the portals, so they were going to open the portals, and then the Canonians 
we're going to open a Stargate, which you could use, and then you would, you know, you would attach a wormhole to the portal and open the Stargate, and it would be big enough for the the, the interceptors to go through. Um, let's see what I want to say. And, and you, you've got a lot of background security things happening and, and whatever. And, and what's interesting is, you know, at the time, the military knew so much more about space and what was out there than obviously they were going to let on to us. There were already bases on Mars at the time, and those they had important tracking stations. So you could tell exactly where, you know, this bomb was going or coming. And so there was there was a lot of things going on. And from the report, it said, the desert came alive with numerous ships. The majority were raptor moonstorms uh, made of programmable matter so they could change shape and form as needed. The primary, Their primary role was a flying interceptor. Uh, Mark's raptor buddy, Lucky, would be his raptor engineering officer. The cockpit was full of, you know, wonderful advanced technology, and his ship was customized for a human pilot to find it. So imagine that the the males are all getting ready, and, and and the raptors do use females in their military missions and whatever. But okay, so primarily the males are going off to their toys and their ships, and they're you know, they're going to go take care of things. Some a lot of the women, including Titania, they're in their tent or whatever, you know, upset because their men are leaving, and and in comes you know the Flatlanders, and they're consoling the women, and they offered to help. And so they were able to help with wormholes and, and things like that. So they could take themselves and enter Mark's ship. So that was pretty cool. So this whole adventure of dealing with the neutron bomb so that it doesn't decimate the planet, you've, you're dealing with wormholes and wormhole technology and how do you navigate that and then what do you do with the bomb when you get to it and you know, how do you travel in a wormhole and which directions do you go? And thankfully, and I don't know how many species know, have, you know, advanced technology and, and understand wormhole travel. The raptors are really good at it. They're not going to share it with us, but they do, they're very, they're very familiar with using wormholes in a dimensional tubes. Well, what was interesting is, and this is what gets me because I, you know, I'm reading about my husband you know, doing this stuff, they're in their ships and they have to go through the portal that the elementals and the Canonians are holding. And basically, you know, your your ships are, you know, in air and then they go like straight down because the portal is, you know, just a few feet above the surface of the earth. Nose down, just like you're going to dive into the, the dirt, basically mm -hmm. and of course mm -hmm. you know they don't crash they go through the portal and they go to where they have to go and um you know it's like you think your husband's going to just smash his ship like into the dirt but of course that doesn't happen and so with the help of the flatlanders and the elementals and the canonians and all the aliens of course it was a success and they were able to um, divert the neutron bombs that went out a different, you know, wormhole. And unfortunately, it probably blew something else up. But Earth, Earth was saved, and the, you know, the conference was able to take place. So, I mean, it's just that's just the stuff out of movies, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, yeah, and this is considered a kamikaze suicide mission. 
for Mark and yeah, there everybody you go. else. They didn't, <laughs> you know, people have to realize that this kind of now neutron bomb, uh, a lot of species are not allowed to use. It's considered a major romp room for obvious reasons. It rip holes in time right. and space and destroys blah, blah, blah. So, um, yeah. And what people, what I would like people to realize is this kind of stuff is going on forever across history during their entire lifetimes in the background. And we're going, yeah. Well, you know, okay. like I tell people, and it's like, you know, there's species who don't like it, but, you know, it's, it's interesting because a few years later, Mark is involved with another mission out in space. You know, they're defending the planet. And I, I know people think I'm joking about this stuff, but it's like, it was 1976. Yeah, it was before my daughter was born. So 1976. While this mission in space is happening to defend the planet and all of humanity, I'm sitting, I'm participating in a church dance festival on Earth, having no clue that there's this space battle going on. So, you know, people, we don't understand right. what the military and our, our space allies have done to save, save our butts many times. Exactly. Well, in the higher uh, secret space forces, so yeah. um, we're kind of getting, you know, down, and we might, we'll probably extend it to part three with more stories because I think there's just so much fun in here. <laughs> Do you want to? Um, I think we might have room for one quick one. So instead of the buzzers, should we talk about the uh, raptor egg hatching? Or what do you think? Oh, sure. Save the buzzers yeah, no, I think, yeah, yeah, we can save the buzzers for next time. And, and thank you for uh, pulling the quote out for me. <laughs> So, you know, one of, one of the other, so we can go into the details about this later, but um, one of the logistical issues was what do you do before the conference with all the families of the delegates and the ambassadors who come to the conference? So Prince Naga is a raptor. He's got a harem of many female mates and lots of children. And what do you do with them? How do you entertain them? Where do you keep them? You know, and so... They were uh, lodged at different manor houses, different castles around England, and, and entertained. And Mark's, you know, partner, girlfriend, whatever, whatever you want to call dear Titania, and her sisters. Uh, one of their responsibility was to basically entertain and and host these raptor, the harem. And it's interesting because at one place they were staying, Sudley or Sudley Castle. And I didn't look up exactly where in England it is, probably in the Cotswolds, I think. Cotswolds. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, and so I guess while they were there, you had you had some eggs that were going to be hatched. And your, your shout-out images, you've included that image. And it's the sweetest image of seeing little raptors being hatched. And so... Um, it was drawn see. by Mark, Lady. that image that people can see. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. He's really good. Um, so it, from Mark's report, it says it had not been an easy weekend, especially when an entire clutch of raptor eggs had started to hatch. Unable to build a fully protected nest quickly enough, the older females had thought it best to take the eggs to a stall in the nearby stables when the, the time came. The heaters they brought almost set the hay on fire, but the rest, <laughs> after cleaning quickly, went well enough. That's great. You know, 
you're having a birthing and you've got to keep things from catching on fire. And, you know, the raptor children, who knows, they were probably running around all excited. Um, yeah. The big problem was to keep all of the young female raptors away from the eggs until they were fully hatched. Female raptors are natural mothers, and even in three-year-olds, this instinct is so strong that even in their training, which is you must not help a baby fight its way out of the egg. It must do it on its own to be strong. It gets forgotten, and they will try to help even though you're not supposed to. And the younger males, the problem is trying to keep them from eating the babies when they're born. So um, <laughs> the little females could get quite nasty, you know, against the, the little against the the gangs of so let's see what does it say um the little gangs of sisters could even turn an older raptor male around if they were aggressive enough over the ages raptor females have learned to be very aggressive so lady elizabeth ashcombe is the wife of the owner of the castle and she had been granted the honor of watching the hatching and taking part in the group hum to assure and welcome the babies into the world. So there's a lot of time spent sitting on the eggs before they're born and humming to them and really having a connection with them before they're born. And it's a huge honor for those babies to be allowed to be born on Earth because that is their mother world. To add to the excitement came the added good news that all the eggs hatched and seemed to be exceptionally healthy babies. You know, God help you if you are born a runt. <laughs> Um, this was beyond, yeah, yeah, you're usually killed if you're a runt. Um, this was way beyond, this was a good omen for the raptors. It was powerful sorcery, and they do have their sorceresses. The entire outlook of the guests were interested, oh, the entire outlook of her guests interested Elizabeth, the Lady Ashcombe, including their outlook on humans. She was interested in the questions concerning consciousness and souls of creatures like the raptors. For much of the afternoon, she'd been enchanted. Oh, crap, I just lost my place. Um, she'd been enchanted and occasionally held back laughter at the charming way a little raptor female was translating in English to her what the other female raptors were singing softly to the eggs. Oh, isn't that cute? Uh, they were singing to the, the eggs about all the things they had seen around the, the Cotswolds. And the longer she was around them, the more she realized how advanced they were. At first, it was all too easy to pass the big dinosaurs off as some sort of half-wild, clever predator that wasn't at all bright and by human standards seemed a little childish. But she learned that the basic idea of consciousness may not be the same for all intelligent species. Consciousness was frequently argued by a number of alien cultures, each suggesting its own brand of consciousness was the only real form that mattered. They felt that if a creature like a human could not easily interact with oceanics from its own world who are slightly out of standard accepted time phase. Did that mean that those creatures, the humans, were not fully conscious of their surroundings? The quality um, of consciousness became another argument of importance in treaty negotiations. Oh my gosh, so we're going to have to do part three with more stories. But I do, I, know. I would love you I, I would love you to end since we were talking about the raptors. And, and by the way, that last story came from the first treaty convention, but it was so beautiful that I wanted to include that. And um, we were talking about the quality of consciousness became another argument right. of importance in treaty negotiations. Like it's happening on earth right now where people are realizing more and more and more the quality of consciousness, consciousness assisted technology and that science and spirituality are exactly end up being married. So with 
that in mind, with the quality of consciousness <laughs> in mind, our raptor friends who, by the way, folks live 400 to 500 years old, have an esteemed senator named Motla, who eloquently expressed the raptor's spiritual beliefs. So, Joanne, you want to share that? I do. And Senator Maka, who is still alive, um, he was 300 years old at the time of this conference. And part of, he gave an eloquent speech at the conference, and part of his speech is this passage that I love. The galaxy's great spiritual thinkers from every sentient species have taught the wisdom of seeing beyond any appearance of lack or limitation. Because they recognized the natural perfection at the heart of all life, they saw the greatest possibilities. They knew that wholeness, beauty, peace, and harmony were always present and would express if recognized and embodied. These spiritual masters saw their world with eyes of wonder and awe, even if they had no eyes. They teach us that each of us lack for nothing. Each of us is part of a universe so abundant that it is impossible to count or comprehend the reach and richness of it. Infinite means never-ending, never-ceasing, always replenished, always greater and more beyond imagining. You have access to the infinite. Your nature is part of the divine, and the divine is ever-giving, ever-pouring forth with anything and everything that is needed. The universe would not exist if it were not a self-sustaining and continuously expanding universe a system. Each sentient life is part of this system, and you partake of its nature and composition. Like the water that makes up most of the human body, the infinite abundance of the universe is inherent in and as you. There can be no separation or a canceling out, a defeating of, or a canceling out, a defeating of both would happen, and nothing would exist. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Quote. Oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, boy. Mm. Well, may we all remain open and humbled by the brilliance in many other species and extend ourselves with higher wisdom. And my wish is embracing all races of humans as one, as well as respect, even if you don't initially like them, all ET species as unique creations of oneness. So going forward with this attitude will literally open doors to that which is and has always been your birthright, which is to become once again a conscious member of our extended galactic community with universal life forms. So Joanne and I are sharing this with you today so that your brains continue to expand into greater knowingness and you open your heart to a life of awe and wonder, resting fearless in the truth of your being as an infinite immortal creator. So that's my input. So, uh, so Joanne, do you want to share again uh, your contact and a little bit about your new book? Where people can sure. reach you. Okay, for my nonprofit Earth Defense Headquarters, the two websites are edhca.org and edhq.org. My new book is now out on the market. It's called Midlife Magic. It is my memoir, my childhood, my marriages, 
how I met my husband and how I got into all these cool topics about magic and UFOs and aliens and the paranormal and the elementals. And it's not on Amazon yet, but it's on many other ebook sites. So if you just Google Midlife Magic by Joanne Richards, if you want it as an ebook, there's several sites that are selling it. I have ordered a box of books um, so that I'm taking pre-orders. You can email me at dragonhillbooks at yahoo.com if you want to order it that way. And soon enough, the you know, so the print books are being now offer, offered to retailers to pick up and carry. So uh, we we have birthed a book. <laughs> oh, oh boy, that must be a good feeling. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and a lot, and maybe maybe easier than birthing hundreds of clutches of eggs. <laughs> true, true. But I'll tell you, this it 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 took me. You know, by the time I thought this would, wouldn't take long at all, but uh, it's definitely taken almost a full two years from writing. The writing didn't mm-hmm. take that long, but the the getting it all edited and tweaked and fine tuned and learning about the nuances of self-publishing and you know no wonder people try to hold out for a publisher <laughs> yeah, so it's, yeah. Like, it's crazy but you know people are already ordering it from me so so it's very exciting and I, I'm very proud of my new babies before uh, we close Joanne I just want to know uh, of course Mocha's, uh quote that you shared in his speech gives people a huge sense and boy, I have certainly learned because I used to be extremely judgmental and still can be. And boy, have I, uh, you know, with first appearances. So if you want to go see what these rafters look like, go watch Jurassic World, which is right. actually a movie about Mark, but it's really oversimplified. <laughs> and it is not depicting how brilliant the rafters are. So, you know, right. it's always a good reminder whether we're dealing with other humans. The other thing is I just recently talked to a super soldier, and I said there, with the certain things coming down that I already have warned in previous shows that may be happening, and when you're facing some a, a predator that may be used to, shall we say, eating you or having you for lunch, what is the most important thing to do? And he shared with what I got in a dream. He said the most is to learn to master your fear, but the most important is not talk to the other being, but telepathize. In other words, send the messages in your brain that you have highest respect for the species and you are peaceful and honor them. And And he said that will be what keeps you alive. Not always, but whatever. And I thought, you know, it's a good reminder, right? It is. You know, because the other the other point is, um, you know, from the exit conference, Mark learned that some of the scariest looking beings are the most friendliest. The other thing is, Mm -hmm. if you don't know how to say hello, how are you? You know, I want to be your friend. You could start a galactic war because you might talk to them and you've totally insulted them. So I love the thought about just communicating to them telepathically as best you can. You know, because otherwise you could say the wrong thing and, you know, you think you're saying yeah. hello, I'm a friendly being, and you're telling them they're stupid cuckoo head for showing up on Earth. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so everyone can telepathize. You send pictures. 
is basically yeah. how you do it because these advanced species are psionic. So, sure. everybody, um, I think what we're going to do is do a part three in two weeks, if you're willing to do that, Joanne, and we will, of course, finish up some of the key stories and some fun, Okay. Uh, you know, more things. And those of you who are interested, please contact Earth uh, Defense Headquarters and order this online because it's, it's just amazing documentation and incredible information. Uh, and share with your family and kids. And remember also, when kids are first introduced to other species, which was exemplified by Mark and Titania introduced to the raptors and the, earl- and the mantids, they had no fear and got along fine. So right. it's the adults that are the problem. That's That's the right. <laughs> so anyway, and, and I, thank you. And I will say, go ahead. Oh, you're, I was just going to say really quickly, um, I don't think – the pit report is listed on my product list on the 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 website because I, most of those I used to just mail out, but they're too big to you know print and mail. But you can't; they can be ordered, and they're all digital. So you just definitely have to email me and say that's what you want, and then we'll go from there. Well, and I'm awesome. So we're out of time. So thank you for joining yeah. us. And all shows are available. Um, and also will be on my archives and Super Souls YouTube channel. So until two weeks, onward and upward, friends. Care, y'all. Thank you.